Welcome back to A Fine Time for Healing, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. Today we have with us Joan Ranquette, who is an accomplished animal communicator. I know you guys are, your ears are pricking up because you're going to love this. Of over 30 years, she's an author. She's a TEDx speaker, educator, and animal garden. And Joan lives on her ranchette in the gorgeous hills of Southern California with her devoted animal family, three horses, three dogs, four cats. She donates her time to animal rescue missions, sanctuaries, and therapeutic writing centers, and is an avid fundraiser for organizations focused on the rescue, recovery, and rehabilitation of compromised animals and endangered species. What wonderful work you do. Welcome, Joan. Thank Thank you. Thank you. I love what you do, too. Thank you. Thank you. It's important to do something that you love, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, tell us a little bit about your work, and then I'll start asking you questions. Okay. So <clears throat> first and foremost, um, I'm an animal communicator, but I always say that <clears throat> now I'm a school, so um, I don't do as many sessions as I used to do, um, although Fridays, every few Fridays, I, I tend to do a bunch, um, but uh, so an animal communicator will get on the phone or a Zoom with somebody or go to their home and get a sense of what's going on with the animal uh, emotionally, physically, behaviorally, and we do that through telepathy telepathic communication so it's a it's getting very quiet and picking up on the pictures words and feelings of the animal and then from there we share that information with the person and then we can have a little more of a conversation or sometimes i mean you would know this better than anybody sometimes when an animal just feels heard there's so much healing happens just from being seen and heard mm -hmm. Of course, of course. Is this something that anyone can learn to do? Yeah, and that, that's one of the reasons I have a school. <clears throat> Excuse me. I teach... <clears throat> Sorry. It's okay. You sound like me. I, I always have that. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> I do, I'm fighting off something, but um, it might win. Anyway. Um, I hope not. I know, me too. Um, <clears throat> it's, it is something anybody can do. It's, um, um, we all do it, right? Like in many ways, we were born doing this with our caregivers, our mother. This is how we communicated the minute we were born. And then through language, we lost that ability to communicate. Um, and as so as time goes on, it becomes further and further away. And, and yet we hold this desire. I think we all have the secret desire to talk to animals, fly, and or swim without breathing underwater, right? So, you know, a lot of us have those dreams. I happen to have all three. But um, talking to animals was obviously the most important. So as we learn it later on, it's a lot like... Um, um, <clears throat> It's a lot like riding a bike. You know, you're, you've got the muscle memory. It's just going to be hard to get going again. So that's it. Okay. And when you communicate with animals, are you, um, how are you interpreting their, their thoughts and feelings? Um, I mean, I really just take it for face value. <clears throat> I mean, do you hear them? Do you see the letters? Like what? Are you hearing what they're saying? Um, yeah, for example, um, yes, it's, um, it is, so for example, um, I went, before I started doing this, I had a young horse, he was an orphan colt, and he had wanted me to ride him, and I hadn't, I was waiting to get bigger and stronger. And one day I slipped onto his back. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> throat> 
We're okay. We'll get through this. Okay. Yes. Uh, but I heard as sure as I was, as if somebody was in the, in the woods with me, I've been waiting for this. So sometimes it comes in words and sometimes it's really clear. Um, another example, I have, um, I have several horses and one morning I was down feeding and I heard, help me. Now I looked at my horse and she was perfectly fine. And, you know, he just looked at her, but to, um, to, I went around her body and to, to suddenly put my hands on places. I discovered that she had sliced herself pretty deeply, but it, you wouldn't have seen it. You know what I mean? And so if she hadn't said that, it might've taken me a couple of days because the skin lay perfectly flat. Mm-hmm. And so it, yeah, sometimes we do hear it. Um, sometimes it comes in forms of pictures. Sometimes it comes in the form of feeling. I mean, we've all felt when we've walked into a room, how an animal is feeling. If it's depressed or obviously if it's excited, we know. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> and I understand that horses are highly intelligent and they, um, they actually do communicate with each other and with people. Have you experienced that? I mean, if we think about, I always look at the uh, history of the world. We couldn't have done without the horse. And they really partnered up with us beautifully and cows and oxen and others. But the horse really was that partner. And then that partner could plow the field and also, you know, look fancy and go into town on Sunday. So, They've been, you know, they've been our partners for a long time, but they communicate definitely in a herd. And just as a pack of wolves or coyotes would or a pride of lions would. So that's their, that is their form of communication. Okay. So animals, um, you say their mental distress can manifest in anxiety, fear, Um, destructive behavior depending on the severity of the condition and it doesn't necessarily mean they're experiencing abuse it's I guess we can all suffer these things so what are some of the things that you see cause these um, animals to experience these mental health issues so I, I mean I think this is such an important topic because when you said that it doesn't always mean that it comes from abuse I, you know, when you go, there are certain people who are very empathic and they're overwhelmed by animals in the shelter and they'll be like, oh my God, they've all been abused, but it's just not true. They're grieving, right? They're grieving. And anybody who's left a circumstance, even if we think we've adopted this animal, we've made the most amazing home and they came from some sort of a, um, like a hoarding situation. Well, the truth is, even in a hoarding situation, those people didn't start out wanting to hoard, right? So there was love there. There was a family. There was a, So when we take them away from that, even though we think we're great heroes and we, you know, cleaned up their the mats and their fur, they, they've still lost something in this transition. Mm-hmm. So a lot of animals... <clears throat> experience grief in a way that we don't recognize or we don't acknowledge. And when they have, if when there's a companion pet in the house and that pet dies, you know, I, I know that that causes grief for the animal that's left behind, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it may manifest in, in certain ways, like it, it could manifest in like, oh, look, I'm getting all the attention now. But it doesn't mean that that animal isn't going in the other room and really deeply grieving. But they, they're survivors, right? So mm-hmm. how do you survive? <clears throat> so um, during COVID, um, a lot of people were home with their animals and then they had to go back to work. And I would imagine that could be a very stressful situation for the animals. And I've actually heard people say, you know, that that the animal isn't acting right since they've gone back to work. <clears throat> what is that like a separation anxiety? 
I think it's a separation anxiety, and it's also could be very much on the part of the person um, an element of guilt and um, and anxiety from the person, and so that can compound the situation. I often think that when a human feels guilt, we are just like opening up the vault for bad behavior, and if so, the just be very solid and and kind of what I call emotional leadership of I'm I'm going back to work to give us a better life and gives the animal something to do like leaves them with a Kong or you know cat toys or whatever it is um, that it it could be a perfectly great situation for the animal because mm-hmm. animals shouldn't be on all the time anyway you know so it's it's it is a separation anxiety, and I think somewhat on the part of the human as well. When we talk to them, do they understand us? <clears throat> they do in very simple terms. I mean, I don't you know sit and go on and on about you know big complex situations. Right. Although I've been known to what I usually say is this is stupid people stuff. Just ignore it. Ignore. <laughs> But very much, I have, um, I have, uh, oh, this is funny. So I have a, a little movement I do with my horses when I want them to get out of the way. And it's very much like I'm putting my two fingers up in the air, or if I've got my arms full of feed, it's one finger, right? And that's what a horse's, the lead mare's ears would do, kind of like go that way. So I do that, and I usually, I point. And I, I say, you know, go over there. And they almost always do. And so I take people on wildlife trips. And there's a place where we go in Kenya called, um, it's called Savo East, but it's with the Sheldrick Trust. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they take orphan elephants and get them back into the wild. And it's usually a 10-year process. So the teenage elephants are all in a herd in this place called a Tumba Camp. So they come in at night, but during the day they're out as a herd. And if they choose to become herd members with a, one of the wild herds, that's that's kind of the goal. So anyway, this one, I was taking a, a video and this one elephant came at me and I had seen the, the men that, you know, run the, the camp do this. So I did that thing. I had my camera filming and I did the fingers that direction. I was like, go over there, go over there. And that elephant like came right up to the camera and then went over there. And wow. my, I know. I put it up <laughs> on and my friends just couldn't believe oh, there's your doggy. <laughs> one of them, yeah. That's um, vanilla. So I um my husband and I are going out to California uh next week to cat sit my son's cat, who oh. is very um aloof and it's been very difficult for us to get to eat for her to even allow us to pet her last time we were there it took about four or five days before she would let us touch her how do i communicate with her that it's safe and she doesn't have to be afraid well one of the things that happened is you can imagine like oh you're so beautiful i would love to touch you and what we're doing is we're accidentally projecting a need onto them, right? There's a, there's a little bit of an, uh, a, not a need. It's, we're just projecting energy onto them that, that we uh, want this. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And when we back up and almost like if you could be aware of your energy, just like I'm going to keep it in. I'm the safest person alive. And I just want to be with this cat in this very contained way. I have a feeling you'll have a different experience. Okay. So it's it's my mindset that will bring her, mm-hmm. make her more comfortable. <clears throat> and and your energy, bring your energy back. Bring my because, energy in. Yeah. When when you think of um, what you said earlier that uh, that horses communicate with each other. And all animals do, but think of a herd and think of like, you know, they can go into fight or flight 
in a minute because they felt something within the group. So they're always in tune with each other. And then when they're content and in the rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system, they're calm and eating and they can chill and some of them can sleep, but they're always feeling into that field of energy. And so are our animals. And often the cats that don't want to be petted are just super sensitive. Okay. And so her parents are going to be going away and they just got back from a trip. They travel a lot. So she's going to have some separation anxiety. She's going to also, we're going to be new. She's, you know, skittish. And um, <clears throat> do I, is there anything I can say to her? We are the safest people on the planet and we are fun. Okay. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> and I always encourage my house sitters. I travel a lot too, and I have a lot of animals. So I always tell my animals, you know what? It's going to be more fun with the house sitter because there aren't as many rules. Okay. And we are fun. Well, I don't think she has a lot of, I think she's spoiled, <laughs> but it's okay. Okay. Um, you know, I, I was watching the news the other day. This is, you know, there's always something to blow your mind, but um, there was someone who had a, um, an alligator <laughs> as a companion pet. And I'm thinking, I don't know if you can really, and people were petting this alligator, it's weird, but can we communicate with reptiles the same way that we communicate with yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah, I mean, think about turtles and yeah, I had turtles for a while. <clears throat> well, I had I had lizards for a very long time, and I had them t very like tamed, and they were almost spoiled. You know, they just loved to be held and things like that. And I would talk to them like they were regular animals, and they had personalities, and I could see it. It's just that alligators seem so untamed. <laughs> That it would be you know, yeah. We have such a, a vision of sharks and alligators and crocodiles and that we can't see a personality, you mm -hmm. know, but I think if we dropped that and really saw who the individual is, you know, who's to say somebody isn't really smart and funny and quirky and just doing just happens to be in an alligator body this time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have, I live in South Florida and we have a lake behind our house and there's alligators that swim by from time to time. I'm not afraid of them. They're just doing their thing. They're just traveling to the next place. Um, so you also do energy healing, right? Mm -hmm. I do two, two kinds. And so I, like I said, I'm a school now, so I teach animal communication for beginners or people that want to get certified, um, we have programs. And the same with the energy healing. So we have Scalar Wave, which is <clears throat> works on a cellular level, and it's very calming, really brings the nervous system down, and can be targeted for things like kidney disease and specific things. Um, then the other one I do is EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique. And I, and I lived in South Florida, and... I had learned EFT when I lived in Denver, but it was in South Florida in Wellington where I tapped on a horse for the first time in 2004. And um, <clears throat> there's been no looking back. And I wrote a book about it called Emotional Freedom Technique for Animals and Their Humans. So, yeah, I, I saw that um, your, your exchange, your telephone exchange was palm beach county and and i'm like okay i thought and then i read you were in california so okay that explains that yeah uh, <clears throat> and you also have done a ted talk called the rainbow bridge animals in transition tell us about the rainbow bridge tell us what's what, you know it's it's such a beautiful concept um yeah <clears throat> it is a beautiful concept I actually <clears throat> since my bio i've lost a cat and gained a horse um so uh it's 
right now it's still very, you know, I just hit the six month mark and I'm really feeling her. Um, so, you know, the rainbow bridge is this concept that there's a field right before heaven where our animals go and they wait for us until we die. And it is a beautiful concept. Um, and so <clears throat> in that TEDx talk, I really address grief and our grief with our animals and how it's so important to recognize how much they impact our lives. You know, I've, um, doing this show, I've had mediums on and I've also experienced readings from mediums. So communication with the other side, in other words, and often the animals do come through. And mm -hmm. I know, um, I had a reading where two of my animals that had passed came through really surprised me. So they're not really sitting there on a field waiting for us. They really are. Are do you believe that um, our loved ones have embraced them and brought them in, and that they're living, that they're experiencing life in, in with that kind of support or that, that kind of life? I should say. I mean, I feel like it's <clears throat> wow. I'm really sorry. I'm never. It's okay. <laughs> I can so relate. Okay. So don't worry about it. Um, so I really believe uh, on the one hand that, yeah, of course they're embraced by other loved ones um, and they're right here, right? Like they're not, they're not in physical form anymore, but I joke that during COVID I had dinner with my dead parents every night. So, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, listen, when you tell me that, it's like second nature to me. I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. Does it usually, do you think it takes a while from the time they pass till they communicate? Because I think it's a, they have to learn how to communicate or how to lower their energy to be able to match with ours, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes my dad, when he passed, I was with him and I could feel him so free in, in, like the minute he left, I was so sad, but I felt this freedom, which kind of got me through a period of time to do what I needed to do mm -hmm. <clears throat> to organize everything. But then, of course, it all sank in. But um, I, whereas others, yeah, it takes a while. Definitely took a long time with my mom, with one of my horses. Mm -hmm. Um with uh, my ex-husband just died and recently I've felt some, you know, I've experienced him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do animals feel about euthanasia? Because it's for us, it's probably the hardest thing we can ever do. Well, I mean, that is such a, an interesting conversation um, because I had a vet friend in probably in the year 2000, I was living in Denver and a veterinarian friend of mine was, you know, had adopted Buddhism as her life path. And she would not euthanize anybody because she followed the Buddhist teachings, which says that, you know, there are stages to death in the same way that there are stages, you know, in the labor of, birth mm -hmm. and so um i feel like animals often will want the help at the end because but i've i've really watched those stages very closely you know since then and i teach about them i'm not on not on from a buddhist perspective but just that you know we have to be there with and for their labor into that next life whatever that looks like and um, and even, you know, when I have people that are very Christian and I say into that next life, I can say, you know, into heaven or whatever it looks like. So it's it's important, I feel like, to allow those stages, uh, because as we know with humans, sometimes there are places where they get to where the pain goes away because they're in this other altered mm -hmm. state almost. 
where they're kind of conscious and they can do some things. And because we're really helping them with their unfinished business. And we don't know what that is, right? That's theirs. And so I feel like, um, but animals will often say, yes, I could use the help. Because when, when we drop everything because they're dying, all of a sudden we're in this love bubble that nobody wants to leave. And so, <clears throat> you know, I mean, I know with my cat that last week that she was alive, I canceled everything and just spent that time with her. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, it was incredible. And neither one of us wanted her to leave because we were in such a, a state of love. But at the same time, the minute that she got that injection, she was gone. And I mean, it was as if she was hanging on by a piece of floss, you know. So it's 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 humane to do it, if you yeah. as long as you're there with them. I think so. <clears throat> yeah, too bad we can't make those choices for ourselves. I know. <clears throat> um, so I've been a vegetarian for a very very long time. <clears throat> And for me, see, I got the same problem. For me, when I see an animal, I see the soul. I don't see that I am, I have uh, sovereign, I'm sovereign over that, or that I have power over that, or that I'm better, or that I'm, I have a more important place on earth than the animals do. And so it breaks my heart to think about an animal being here. And being slaughtered for people to eat. Tell me, me. What you, tell me what your your feeling is. <clears throat> it, I've, I've been vegan. I've been vegetarian on and off for probably um, 30 years. And certainly the last 12 years on as a vegetarian. And then, no, 15 years. And then as a vegan, it's been six years, seven years. Um, I was for six years and I, I blew it for about a year, but now I'm back. <coughs> so like you, I agree that I see a soul and it's that soul is not here for me to eat. Um, and I, I also believe that even the dairy industry in, to me is a feminist issue because we're keeping them pregnant for our consumption and it's, you know, so I think it's a very, uh, it's, it's, that's how. Right. How do the animals feel? <clears throat> Terrified. Okay. Terrified. I mean, and, and you can see them <clears throat> cry. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I've asked this question before, and um, one communicator told me, well, they, they know that their purpose here on Earth is for this, and they accept that purpose. But to me, no, you don't agree. I don't agree either. Oh, I, you know what? I think that is our way of justifying it, and we have a million ways that we justify things. And so I've heard that, too. In the, in the very beginning, when I first started doing animal communication, a couple animal communicators same thing to me, and I was like, "That there is just no way that's possible." I don't, you know, no. I mean, how would you feel if you found out that it turns out, even though you have this podcast and you've done all this healing, you're really here for somebody's food? Horrible. Right. It's insane. Yeah, it is insane. It is insane. <clears throat> but there's lots of ways that through history, because of religious beliefs or science, we have um, made it that we don't believe we can communicate with them. We don't believe that they feel this deeply because we've had to sacrifice them or use them for experiments. And that's, as humans, that's mm-hmm. what has happened. And so that's just another perfect construct that man has made of like, Oh, it's their contract. They're here for us. 
Nobody's here for us. Nobody. I, I agree. I agree. I don't. I don't see us being any better than animals. Absolutely not. But you know, if you think back to the caveman days, <clears throat> that was their natural way of eating. They they had to kill animals to eat. Um, so some people say, well, you know, we are natural carnivores. You don't have to be. Um, it takes a real effort to not be. <clears throat> but it took a real effort to be a carnivore back then. You know, they ate a lot of berries. They ate a lot of whatever was there. Mm-hmm. They created, um, you know, it wasn't exactly easy to be a carnivore. It took days. But now it does take a lot of effort to be a vegetarian or even a vegan. Right, yeah. I mean, it's it's much easier. I've been doing this for um, hmm, hmm, 41 years. And when I first started was one yeah. store <laughs> one store I could go to and um, now I mean you can get everything vegetarian vegan gluten-free keto I mean you you can get whatever you want to get right now so it's a it's a lot easier to do it <clears throat> so what would we how would we begin to communicate with our animals. I know, I mean, I think people bond very deeply with their pets and um, it's, it's like a child, it's a family member. Um, how can they be in tune with the animal and help it with, if it's having emotional issues or physical issues, how can we do that? Um, I, I feel like one of the, best ways to do it is just to um, get quiet and um, feel into what they might be feeling. Like, again, like we're saying, nobody's here for us. So it's like, take your agenda out of the way and feel into what, what is my friend here feeling? My friend here is feeling like a cat could walk by any minute and we could chase her. For him but um really yeah she's is she, that what she's thinking <laughs> yeah look at she is uh <clears throat> a cat she looks pretty chill <laughs> she is pretty chill but those ears well now she's gonna be like yeah but she's she'd that. like to chase a cat right <laughs> a girl can dream but um anyway what i always say that people come to classes because they want to learn how to receive information but if we just started with being conscientious of what we're sending, we're going to change our household mm-hmm. because we often are sending things that we don't even realize. Like uh, there's a, a story that all animal communicators tell or an example. And that is if I wanted the dog to get off the couch, which first of all, doesn't happen. <laughs> but, um, and I could, I would say, okay, off and then if I thought in my mind the minute I walk into the other room she's going to get back up on the couch what do you think is going to happen she's going to get back up on the couch because she sees the picture so they like we talked about with the herd of horses they're always tracking us and they're looking at our pictures words and feelings so when we are in that state of um, stress and we're stressing about something um, we're sending them pictures that we don't even recognize that we're sending them. So if we become conscious and quiet our minds just in general, we're going to automatically start sending, you know, kind of more of a safety vibe. And then as we get better at that, then we can be very specific about what it is that we want. Like, I need you to use the litter box or I need you to be quiet when the neighbor neighbor drives by. Mm-hmm. All of those things that, you know, those behaviors that we want, if we start really consciously picturing them and we move a lot of the clutter out of the way, we generally, you know, unless they're super, um, <clears throat> you know, Generally, we have, you know, we have compliance or partnership on these things that we 
Well, dogs, you know, dogs are, um, they're pack minded and um, they like a leader, right? Is that true? Mm -hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Right. So do we, um, <clears throat> how do you feel about discipline? <clears throat> and, and how do we discipline? <clears throat> I mean, I'm on, I will on occasion put a dog in a timeout, but um, often that timeout is more for them, right? Like if they're too amped or they're going to be nervous with another dog or something in the house, I'll just put them in a timeout so it's not a discipline. So I guess I don't, discipline is in the moment. It's like, nope, leave it, you know, that sort of thing. But I don't, there's no after effect. There's no, you know, you're going to have a timeout for this. I, all right. I'll tell you one thing I did years ago. I had a cat that would knock stuff, food off the counter and the lab would eat it. This was, this was my old dog, right? They had, they had a pack going. They were in cahoots. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or they pulled the garbage out. I mean, they were such a tag team. And I would be like, okay, that's it. I mean, it was like a comedy. I would say, that's it, time out. And I'd put them in the guest bathroom. And the dog would like be like, oh, yeah, it was so worth it. And the cat would walk in purring. So I learned, like, they don't care. This, this, is, not, this is not bad for them. This is, I got the garbage, and now I have to go sit in the bathroom. So if, in, rather, it's up to me to handle the garbage, right? Okay. <laughs> because their world not that that's our biggest challenge is we don't understand their world, right? We don't seem to understand that like barking at the window is fun. <laughs> right? It drives us insane. But for them it's great. It's the best thing in the world. So we fun. have to learn to adjust some of our expectations and and set them up for success rather than discipline if that makes sense and if you're going to have an animal i think that you need to understand what your responsibilities are going to be um, because very often people just get animals and then you know they don't like the way they behave they don't like the barking they don't like the cats scratching the claws the this the that and i'm like Why'd you get it? <laughs> you know, why'd you get that animal if you don't like that? What what are what are dogs saying when they bark? <laughs> well, I mean, my dogs have about sixty different barks, and so the other day I have a horse that um, she's thirty six, and sometimes she gets stuck. Right, she can't get up, and at three in the morning last Saturday night, this one made one bark. And I woke up, I knew what the bark meant, and I ran down and I got my horse up and I went back to bed. Aww. So it it's amazing what she, so they, often it will be an alert. Often it will be, sometimes it's territorial, like, there's somebody in the yard. Um, but very often it's um, it's an alert. Hey, there's a guy walking down the street. You know, and right. that's so exciting because for a long time there was nothing. Now that I walk down the street, I have a friend who says, you know, that the, the dog next door starts barking at like five o'clock every evening and barks for hours, you know, and she's like, it's so annoying. So I guess maybe they're not giving that dog attention or, you know. Yeah, I think. They, yeah, I mean, I, I have a neighbor over there also that barks very early in the morning and, and they've got a lot of dogs. So it's, I think it's also just, hey, hey, it's my turn. <laughs> Can you ask a dog not to bark? You know, what I did was I learned to acknowledge each type of bark. Like another thing that, that my other dog will do I know the minute that that one bark is a coyote. 
right? Mm -hmm. So I acknowledge, I've learned every tone of barking. And in my book, Emotional Freedom Technique for Animals, I tell a story where I actually was writing my second book, Energy Healing for Animals. And I was so sick of writing. And I was looking for a distraction anyway. It was a rainy day. I was living in Seattle. And a rainy day. And after another rainy day, after another rainy day. So we were all bored. And um, so I decided I would spend the day barking with them. Because it was they were driving me nuts. And I sat at the window and barked with them. And they thought I was insane. But it was so much fun, right? And so what I recognized was, oh, this is this bark. This is this bark. This is this bark. And I start listening for what the bark is. So when it starts, I say, thank you. I see the man on the horse. Or... Thank you. I see the guy with four dogs. Oh. And and when I say thank you, they're like, okay. I don't so, bark anymore. <laughs> exactly. She got it. She's not so dense after all. <laughs> um, so your cat passed um, and you've communicated with her, right? Mm-hmm. What has she told you? Um, I mean, mostly I just had an, an animal communication class talk to her and it was so beautiful and she just let it. So she was a real healer. Like people will bring their animals that uh, they're fostering that they kind of can't get through to and they maybe stayed in the guest room and she always slept like right next to that crate and would just purr and send in healing so she's just let us know that she's still here, she's healing, and that she's still really, um, uh, yeah, that she really is still doing her job just from the other side, and that she can do it bigger. I have trouble going into, actually, I don't go into pet stores um, where there's dogs and cats and um and um, rescue places and things like that because my heart breaks. And that's probably not a good thing because it's not probably helping them if I do walk in and my heart is breaking. But how do we approach that? Well, that's something I work really hard on with my with my students because <clears throat> it is, if we project onto animals poor baby or you poor thing we're not helping them right and so if you can't for this minute go in there then it's probably best you don't for now but I think EFT is a really great way and then what I always say to people is that our mission is bigger than our feelings Mm -hmm. so if we go into mission Mm -hmm. which is I'm here to help uh, animals then then I don't get sidetracked by my feelings. I can feel it later, but I want to go in and see them as all able to get homes. And we do a lot of work with animals and rescues and shelters. In fact, we have a whole curriculum for shelters that um, I just did a pilot project in Michigan um, at a shelter where we tapped on all the unadoptable animals. We did communication and then tapping for several days and most of those dogs have been adopted and they were impossible. I mean, really? one was, yeah. So the first step is just recognizing that what I want to do is to help and I want to help. That's more important than my feelings about the situation. That makes sense. You know, and basically that's kind of the thread of everything that you've said your responses to all my questions is take yourself out of it and be there for that animal without your needs. Right. Right. Um, In this um, information that I got from your publicist said research by guide dogs UK reveals that nearly 75% of dogs showed signs of poor mental health in 2022. That's really that's awful. Why is that? Um, I mean, I think that, I, I mean, I have a lot of clients that are guide dogs and they're very, 
very happy to do their job. But, you know, it's so in the animal kingdom, again, if we take that herd of horses that we were talking about, they operate on what's called pressure and release. So they're eating and everything's great and they're happy. And then maybe there's a cougar or some sort of a predator or humans in a Jeep. Um, and so, <clears throat> um, so somebody will alert that there's something and they're, you know, the, uh Oh, uh Oh, you know, the big response of like, we've got to move. So that becomes like a pressure and running to freedom or to escape that becomes the release. Right. And, and we see it in terms of like, as that animal runs, the adrenaline is released in order for them to get moving. And then as they run, that adrenaline dissipates. They get to the next location where they're all safe. They settle. They look around. We can be in this rest best state and content and eat. We don't have a lot set up for animals for that release. So things become pressure, 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 pressure with no release. The release would be exercise, fun, playful activities. And again, exercise. And not just opening the door and letting the dog out, but really getting that dog the opportunity to release the the stress. Okay. And when, you know, and that's one of the reasons that my dogs are very chill is, I mean, given the opportunity, she can be amped up like you've never seen. I mean, she's on it. But we just, you know, this morning, as I go about to feed, you know, they get a lot of play, a lot of running, a lot of, a lot of playtime. And then we come in. I've built my day around each of the species here so that they have time to really play. Three mornings a week, we're out on a huge hike. Um, and then on Sunday, we go on a long walk. Um, and then the other three days is very playful. And those are the big kind of spend time with my horses. So everybody gets their opportunity for release here and that's not built into most people's thinking Does that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um i'm thinking back to a horse whisperer that i had on my show a while back and <clears throat> she was saying how a racehorse got that didn't that was supposed to win that didn't win was was very um upset because it had high expectations for itself because that was put on them. How do you feel about that? <clears throat> uh, I mean, I always say that, that, you know, no animal regrets not going to the Olympics. Right. Um, so I, I don't think they have regret, but I do feel like they can have expectation. And, and when you add in an animal, I mean, just like people, there are animals with high expectations, right? Like one of my dogs here will just, we've got to stick to the rules. And the other ones are like, forget the rules, right? right, right. So that one, you know, she has high standards. So if you find an animal with high standards and people with high standards, yeah, it's going to be a lot of pressure. And horses like to be rode? I, you know, I struggle with that. <laughs> Even though I do ride, I I struggle with. It. So I have a horse. She's thirty six years old. She hated it from day one. Many of the arguments, and probably my divorce, was over the fact that I kept her, even though she didn't want to be ridden. And I have my other horse that did like it. And so I think it's individual. And I I feel like what they like is the partnership and. <clears throat> Riding isn't always what ends up happening at all. I mean, I have four horses now and I have so much fun with my herd and it's not, um, it's not about riding, although one or two of them do like it. And so I do that with them, but it's not, 
I mean, it's, I try to get it, make it happen Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but it doesn't mm. always happen Monday, Friday. Mm. I mean, it, they, they enjoy the time with me. We have a lot of fun. So it isn't always about being written, but I don't know that mm-hmm. she hated it. And I honored that. How did you know? Just, I mean, was it communication or you could tell by her body language? <clears throat> well, when she tries to throw us both off a cliff, <laughs> Um, you know, she just was never comfortable with, she loved the idea of it, but she, and that was through communication. Uh, all right. So I'll tell you one time in 2000, I was living in Denver and I was so frustrated because I didn't know what, what to do next. Right. And I was walking back into the barn and I heard as clear as day. It's so hard for me to take direction from you because I've been your mother in so many lifetimes. And I went, what? Oh. Oh. Everything. That changed everything. I, I then never put anything on her that was, it, it was just, it changed everything. So we get the most ridiculous, wonderful relationship. And she's, I mean, she's got really only one of her four legs seems to really work well, Hmm. but uh, she's, she's my world. Okay. So that opens up a whole nother conversation here because so you're saying Hmm. that we don't always incarnate as human beings. I, I believe we incarnate on other planets and other things, but I never really thought about incarnating as an animal. Uh, I can't even tell you how many lifetimes I've had as a horse or really you've been a horse and a dog and a lion and a dolphin. You know, I was just, I took people to, I, the last trip I did was to go visit tigers in India. And um, we did, it was tigers temples and the Taj Mahal. That was a trip. So we did a lot of temples, Buddhist temples, Hindu temples, and the the Buddhists believe that, that we we incarnate. Um, I think like 1.2 million times before we ascend, mm-hmm. and so imagine, wouldn't it be easy to come back repeatedly as a fly? You could have <laughs> a lot of lifetimes. <laughs> That's right. It's very, they very short. You come, you go, right? Somebody swaps you, you're done. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. It would. It absolutely would. Um, what about birds? I'm <clears throat> communicating with them or being a bird? Well, com- <laughs> uh, yeah, communicating with them. Um, are they okay in cages? Because that doesn't seem like, you know, what they'd be happy with. Um, I, so I would love an African gray, but I struggle with that whole situation, right? Um, <clears throat> I, I don't, I mean, I think that, again, when we start looking at what they get out of being part of a family, then that starts to change things. It's sort of like the the dog in the hoarding situation. Like if they're loved, have love, and they have a family that starts to change that conversation. And, um, you know, I, so yeah, I mean, I've almost everybody I've communicated with is, you know, maybe wanted a bigger space or whatever. But I also, I I will focus with the animal on, like, there's nothing I can do about that, right? I can't say, let your bird free. But I can't help with all of the other things mm-hmm. that, the you know, bird may be um, <clears throat> communicating about. And, you know, usually it's the relationship. It's because I don't love zoos, and yet I've been called to communicate with animals in zoos. And I'll never forget 
I was at a zoo and I can't, I'm, I always have to sign a thing that I can't speak about where. And um, I was so surprised at how much love I felt among the orangutans. And the zookeeper said, I said, uh, after we had the communication, I said, I'm so surprised that I, I feel how I feel about this because I would have thought I would have felt like they're confined. And um, the zookeeper said to me, no zookeeper goes into this because we love zoos. We go into this because we love animals. Mm. And I went, oh, yeah. Mm. So it's then how I walk into even wildlife conservation centers or, and I, I had a class years ago. We used to, we do a lot with uh, wildlife centers now, <clears throat> but when I lived in the Seattle area, we would go to a place called Sarve Wildlife Center and visit these two eagles and both had been injured and could never be out in the wild. And one of them had had a book written about her and her name is Freedom. And um, the other one was um, Akashkata. I can't say her name. It was a Native American name. So um, the the I remember a couple people standing there just like, you know, these birds should be free. And I said, these birds will never be free. I mean, they would die if they were in the wild. They, they One has a broken wing and the other one had an, another type of inner, I mean, mm. I think they're broken wings, mm. but you know, the one enjoyed, enjoyed, truly mm. enjoyed going out to schools and being part of programs and being admired. She was a little bit of a diva. Okay. The other one had mm. loved like mm. the minute that the people were coming around to feed she jumped on her stuffed animals. She jumped around. She was just, everything was so fun for her. So <laughs> I, you know, it's like, why would we take that away from them? Mm-hmm. So I guess you can tell by their behavior if they're happy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I had a very angry cockatiel years ago and I made a mistake. I was young. I got it. And I got Pier one used to sell these stick uh, houses and and it would go it would start wide then it would go all the way up and I thought oh I always wanted to have one and put a bird in it well that was the worst thing I could do because <clears throat> the bird as a little bird it it learned that it could go up there and hide and it never wanted to come down so when I put it in a bigger cage um, all I did was hiss and bite you know uh, <clears throat> but somebody oh, actually, yeah huh you hadn't done all the work with the hand and the whole yeah. yeah, it kind of had its own thing. I mean, I, I would let it fly around and stuff like that, but it just it just was not tame. But I did have a bird person who um, who took it off my hands, who said that's no problem. They could they knew how to handle it. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, animals are fascinating. It's so yeah. nice to talk to you about this. I mean, this is this is such a great uh, education, a great perspective on all of this. Very different. I think people will Thanks. really enjoy hearing what you have to say. Thank you. It's been yeah. really fun. Yeah, it is fun. It is fun. Um, okay, so you're you have how many books now? <clears throat> I have three. My first one with Hay House is called Communication with All Life, and my second one is What Sounds True, and it's called Energy Healing for Animals. And then my new one is Emotional Freedom Technique for Animals and Their Humans. And their and humans. Okay. Yes. Was been impressed, so it's yeah. I'm really grateful that I've gotten books published. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and for <clears throat> the, for people who would like to, so you don't really do this work anymore. You just teach others. Um, I do about <laughs> once a month, and it's it gets booked out. But yeah, I still do. But basically, I'm a school communication okay. with all university so okay um, and people and can it, take your courses yes absolutely okay I have everything from you know a beginner okay. course to professional animal communicators okay mm-hmm. and how do people how do we get in touch with you 
Uh, my website is J-O-A-N-R-A-N-Q-U-E-T.com. Okay, joanroncourt.com. Okay. Um, okay, well, I hope this resonates with somebody that decides they want to learn more about communicating with their pet, um, whatever that may be. And um, uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you. This is, this is fun. Yeah, thank you. It's fun. All right, Joan. Well, thank you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Take care. And by, what is your doggy's name? This one is Penelope. By Penelope. Penelope is in heaven. She is so calm and relaxed. Bye, Penelope. All right. Mm. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.